uh, other Christmas traditions, and it was that of the Advent calendar. Anyone got an Advent calendar at home? And yeah, you're chipping through that. What, what's the date today? It's the 17th, the 13th. You know, I'm a guy. It's Christmas. Everything just kind of, you know. And, 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 you know, the, the, and which is why an Advent calendar is super helpful, because as you, you get into December, each day you get closer to Christmas. You guys know the deal. You, uh, you, you know, you pick open one of the things, December 1st, then you, the next day you find December. So anyone doing this at home right now? You've got your Advent calendar, a few of you. And, uh, and, and one of the things that you have with, with Advent calendars, a lot of time you, you open it up and what falls out? Chocolate, right? A little piece of chocolate. Now, now, what I've kind of discovered through years of enjoying the, the system of the Advent calendar is that although it's so great at building excitement and hope for Christmas, all of that melts away when you put that chocolate in your mouth. Because here's the deal with Advent calendars, right? The chocolate is always terrible. Anyone else, you've experienced that over years of Christmas? You're like, yes, December 2nd, a new piece of chocolate. Oh. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all that excitement, it fades, and you're just thinking, wow, this is the worst chocolate I've ever had in my life. You know, it's, it's quite funny. I actually just discovered yesterday that we have an advent calendar in our house. How, how husband-like is that? But in fairness, it's in one of the rooms I don't often frequent. But how good's my wife, right? So she's got this advent calendar set up, and every day she goes in with Caleb uh, when I'm at work, and, and then obviously at other times when I'm not at work. And, and she doesn't have chocolate in there, because obviously she's learned that, that chocolate, you know, it's pretty gross in advent calendars. And, and what comes out of them is a little Bible verse. How good's that? And it's just got these promises about who Jesus is. And she sits down with my son and she reads these Bible verses. I was like, how did I not know this was happening until yesterday? How did I not know about this? This is awesome. You pull out the little thing and it's like, yeah, Jesus is the hope of the world. And I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. So I'm going to enjoy being a part of that for the, the, the days to come, the heading into Christmas. But, but you, know, you, know, you know why Advent, Advent calendars are so special? Because they build this sense of expectation, don't they? That each new day you get closer, you get more excited, that, that Christmas is coming. Now, Advent actually has its origins in the idea of waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And there's something so powerful about that. When we share in that experience of waiting for Jesus, there's a hope that builds that is incredibly powerful. You know, I wonder if you've ever experienced a time like that of waiting in your life. And, and today we're going we're gonna to look at a, a story around the birth narrative of Jesus for a particular guy named Simeon, which was, who found himself in, in an awesome time of waiting. And, and he's kind of one of the guys around the, the birth narrative and the gospels that we kind of glance over. And, and maybe even as I say, Simeon and birth narrative, you're like, who the heck is that? And maybe you've been coming to church for the last 40 years. That would be fair because he's someone that you can sometimes miss but we're not going to miss him this morning. So we're going to open our Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was devoted to God. 
Now, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, this is an interesting statement, and when we first hear it again, it's one of those, uh, one of those phrases that sometimes reading in Scripture, we're like, oh, I don't really know what that means, but that's okay, I'll keep going. But we're going to rest on this for a moment, because it's so important to understand what Simeon is actually waiting for. Now, what that phrase means is that Simeon is waiting, quite literally, for the coming of the Messiah that would bring fulfillment to all all of the promises to all of the prophecy that God had spoken on on Israel as a people. Now, Simeon, he is waiting for that. Now, in a general sense, all of the Jewish people would have been waiting for that. But there's something unique about Simeon, that he is waiting for it with passion. He's waiting waiting for it with a deep sense of hope in his soul. And the scripture continues, and the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, here's where Simeon's story gets special. Now, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, this is a huge deal. We need to remember here that, that Simeon, as a Jewish man, as a, as a part of Israel, they had been waiting for this promise for generations Year after year after year, there was the promise that God would bring fulfillment to everything that he promised. A promise that started with Abraham right at the start, that they would be blessed to be a blessing to all nations. And generations went by and they never saw it. And it became more clear through different prophets that the Messiah would come to bring fulfillment. But still, they waited and they waited and they waited. Generations came, generations went, and they continued to wait. he continued to wait. Now here's Simeon and the Spirit of God reveals to him that before you die, you will see the Messiah. This is a massive deal for Simeon to know that in his heart after generations of waiting. You will see the Messiah before you die. Wow. But then you kind of get the impression as we continue to read on in the story that Simeon, he's now a pretty old guy himself. He's been waiting a long time in his life for this promise, not just on behalf of historically for his people. He's now really old, and he's been waiting for this for, for, for a long time. Now, here's, here's what I want to bring out of this as a starting point. That hope finds definition in times of waiting. Hope finds definition in times of waiting. And how we hope in times of waiting brings shape to our lives. Now, here's what we see in this guy, Simeon. There's three pieces of information that we learn about who he is in the opening part of this text. Number one, the part we all remember, that he's been waiting for a long time. He's waiting. Simeon is waiting. That's the key thing that we know about him. But alongside that, we also know that he's righteous and he's devoted. Now, I love this idea that these three things come together in his life to bring shape to who he is. That even though he's in this season of waiting, desperately hoping to see the Messiah, alongside that wait, there isn't frustration, there isn't despair, there isn't anger. You know what there is? There's righteousness and there's devotion. And I love this in the heart of Simeon, that during the wait, there's righteousness there's devotion to God. You know, I wonder if you've ever experienced in your life that deep kind of soul waiting. 
And I'm not talking about the, you know, the, the trivial kind of wait as we're, you know, waiting for a package to come from eBay or, or waiting for the new Star Wars film to drop next week. It could be argued that that's no trivial matter. But big picture, it, it kind of is. And, and hear me, I'm in that category. I'm desperately counting down. I've got my own Star Wars advent thing going on. I know what day that's up to, let me tell you. No. But, but there's that kind of the trivial things that, that we wait for, where, where there's that sense of, oh, I can't wait until, whatever, it might, it might even be Christmas Day, I can't wait until that, I can't wait till holidays start. But then sometimes we experience a season of life where there's a deeper, almost gut-wrenching, soul wait for something or other. You know, I've only really experienced this once in my life, and some of you would have heard this part of our story before. And for us, we experienced that for the first time when we decided that it was time to have a child, to start a family. And kind of like most young couples in that season of life, you kind of assume that as soon as you, you know, to use, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth right now, but, but you know, when you take the goalkeeper away... You assume that straight away you're going to score a goal. But, but that wasn't the case. And, and much like actual soccer, there was a long period of waiting where nothing happened. And, and, and months, months went by. And so I don't need to let that sit for a minute before I continue in the story. And, and months kind of went by and it was just, just kind of nothing. And, and, and we waited more and, and more months, and, and still we weren't able to, to get pregnant. And then, then eventually we started to think about, okay, I think something might actually be, be off here. I think it probably should have happened by now. And, and then still we continued to wait until eventually we found ourselves spending some time with a, with a specialist and getting some information, or rather lack thereof information, which was a, which was a really difficult thing for us. We're quite structured, kind of pragmatic people, and, and we went uh, after this long time of waiting and basically said, we don't know why you're, you're not getting pregnant. We, we don't know why. There's nothing to really explain it. And, and for, for us, that just kind of made things worse during that time because there was no answer. There was no new information. And, and we just kind of continued to wait. And we had some other, you know, kind of challenges during that time. And I remember during that, see, this is like the most difficult season uh, in my life, experiencing that and journeying with that with my, with my wife. And it was, it became that sole weight that we were kind of stuck between between the, the present reality and, and the idea that we had for the future. We were stuck in this place where we're like, here's the reality right now. Month after month is going by and we do not know why we can't have a child. And then over here in our minds, there was this hope that, that one day there would be this little child. There, there, there would be a family. That would all start. But, but we were stuck in this place between those two realities. Now, what do you do when you're in that space. And I know even here this morning, I know there's, there's, there's families here, there's couples here, and you're having similar troubles to what I've described, or maybe for you it's something completely different. But how do we hold on to hope when we're in between what we're currently experiencing and what we're hoping for the future? How do you survive in that place when it comes to holding on to hope? You know, here was the, the first thing that I learned, that although we held on to that belief and that hope that, that one day we would have a little child, and if you, if you haven't met me before, we, we do now have a little son who's nine months years old, nine months old, <laughs> the, the years will come later, um, 
who's, who's nine months old. So, so we actually, we, we did get to experience that as a couple, and now, now we do have this little one. But there was a time there where, where the hope in my life had to be bigger than just the hope of one day we would get to experience what we wanted. That one day we would, we would, you know, and we were spending time in prayer. We had friends that we were journeying with, praying into that. And, and that was one level of the hope, that, that one day we would experience that and praise God. And only by his blessings and goodness is that child in our life. And praise God, I understand that very clearly now. Maybe I wouldn't if he came along straight away. But here's the thing. Through that time, there was a deeper hope that we had to ground ourselves in. And that was the hope of Jesus. Not the hope of Jesus that might deliver what we wanted, but the hope of Jesus that has delivered the gospel. That is bigger. And I know that's an easy thing to come out of someone's mouth when you're in the middle of that battle. But let me tell you, I've been there. And that's something I've held on to. Because we've always got two options, don't we, when you're stuck in that waiting time. Is do I draw closer to God? Or do I move further away? Now, sometimes we think that, that if we're moving away from God, it's because we're, we're angry or because we blame him. But, but in reality, I don't think many of us get to that point too often. Rather, what happens is we get so overwhelmed by the weight. We get so overwhelmed by whatever the battle is that, that we're not even angry at God, but what happens is we just don't think about God. We don't include Him in the weight. Can I encourage you this morning? Whatever you're walking through, whatever that weight is for you, hold on to hope. And when I say that, I don't mean hold on to the hope that whatever particular situation you're in will resolve in the right way. Still do that. Still pray into that. But hold on to the deeper hope that is your life redeemed no matter what in the name of Jesus. Held in the gospel. And when we can do that, we're able to endure a time of waiting with righteousness and devotion to God. Exactly like Simeon. But then get this, in Luke chapter 2, verse 27, the wait for Simeon is actually over. Now, we've got to try and tap in to the history of Israel right here. We've got to try and tap into the thousands of years of promise. We've got to try to, to tap into that wait and understand the thrill that for Simeon, on behalf of his people, waiting generation after generation, as an old man waiting year after year, now the Messiah is going to come into his life. Let's read it together. In verse 27, moved by the Spirit, Simeon, he went into the temple courts. Now when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Now, now really quickly on this, what the, the Bible's talking about here is, uh, is a few weeks after a little child was born, the child would go with his mom to the temple to be a part of a ceremony, which made them ceremonially clean and was almost like, a, I guess, a, a quite different version of a baby dedication in some ways. And, and so all couples would do this, Jewish families would do this, People would be going to the temple to do this all the time. Little babies with their mums coming through to the temple. And this particular day, Jesus, with his parents, went to the temple. 
Now, Simeon, as we know, is moved by the Spirit. He's gone to the temple courts and he sees Jesus. He sees this family. And it says this, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Hey, I kind of find this part quite humorous. And like, he's, he's, a, he's an old guy. He's been waiting, all right, God, you promised me that I wouldn't die until I've seen the Messiah. I've seen the Messiah. God, I'm happy to go at any point of your choosing right now. I've seen the Messiah. I'm holding your deliverance in my hands. Jesus, I'm ready to come home. That's where Simeon is. You may now dismiss your servant in peace. Get this. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. For Simeon, the wait is over. He holds the promise quite literally in his hands. Jesus comes to the temple as a little baby and Simeon is able to see that family and see that baby for who it really is, the promised Messiah, the deliverance, the fulfillment of the promise. And here he is holding it in his hands. Can you imagine what's happening in his heart and in his soul? Can you imagine the emotion that he understands that the wait is over? You could imagine tears rolling down his face as he praises God that the Messiah is here. You know what this is a picture of? The thrill of hope. The thrill of hope. One man's experience seeing Jesus for the first time, understanding the promise of the Saviour alive and in his hands, making little cooing noises. He holds the Messiah in his hands and he sees Jesus for who he is. You know, I really believe that if we're going to hold on to Christ... If we're going to hold on to hope in times of waiting, we need to see Jesus for who he is, don't we? We need to have a clear picture of who he is. You know, on that day when when Jesus and his family went to the temple, there would have been people everywhere. There would have been other families, people going to visit the temple for different reasons. They would have walked past crowded streets and no one could see that the Messiah was right there. No one could see that this little baby was the promised Messiah until Simeon, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, goes to the temple and bang, straight away, sees Jesus for who he is and takes hold of him. Hopefully that wasn't awkward for Mary. And, and he just begins to speak out this truth about the gospel. He holds on to hope because he remembered the promise. Each new day, each new year, He remembered what God had promised him. And in the midst of holding on to that promise, it's no trouble for him to see when the Messiah shows up. So how do we see see Jesus in the right way? What's the difference between experiencing the thrill of hope we find in Christ and missing it and not seeing it all? You know, it was a, a game many of us perhaps used to play when we were younger or maybe play with our, with our kids. And it's the, the hot and cold game. The hot and cold game. Could, could you pass me that tennis ball, Dean? We'll see how good I am at catching. That's a good lob. 
I, I actually thought, like, I rehearsed this, and I thought, I'm definitely going to drop it. I need to come up with some joke to, like, you know. Anyway, so, so with, the, with the hot and cold game, if you haven't played it before, what you do, you take, a, you take an object, for, in this case, a tennis ball, and, and one particular person then leaves the room. You guys familiar with this game? Give me a wave if you know where I'm going. A few of you, okay, let me flesh it out for those that don't. The, the person leaves the room, and then as a group, we're like, okay, where are we going to hide this sucker? And you look around for a good spot, and you're like, maybe under the tree, uh, maybe on this, you know, little drink holder. That's going to be pretty obvious for someone as they come in. But you find a place to hide it, and then you invite the person to come back into the room. And then what everyone does is, as they begin to search and look around different things, what does everyone say? If they get closer to where it is... You're saying hotter, hotter, and then you're like, oh, colder, oh, Fre- freezing. What, what if I was to go right over here? What would be the ice cold, stone cold? And, and I love it. The creative people playing this game, they come up with awesome words to describe how badly you're doing. You are ice, icy. There's icicles on you, man. Come on. And, and eventually, you get to when you're right on top of it, and, and I love the phrase, you're on fire. <laughs> can, can, someone, can, you, can you just bless me with that? I'm on fire. I, I'm never going to hear that playing basketball, so I have to, have to take what I can here. Right, I'll put this away. Thanks, Dean. Excellent catch again. Uh, but you didn't have the pressure of everyone watching and... <laughs> So, so you play this game, and, and as you get closer to what you're searching for, you're like, hotter, hotter, hotter. When you get further away, you're like, colder, colder, colder. And, and the thing about that picture that I love is, is that the difference between me finding what I'm searching for and not is what I'm listening to. Is what I'm listening to. And, and what I want to propose this morning is, is, is that if we're listening to the promises of Christ, we'll find Christ and we'll see him for who he is. So that when we start listening to the wrong voices, things that say that, that Jesus really doesn't have anything to offer my life. It's like, Phil, you're getting colder. You're getting colder. Or, or maybe there are other voices that you listen to say that, that Jesus is just something I think about when I'm at church. You're like, Phil, you're, you're getting colder. You're getting ice cold. You're getting further away from seeing Jesus for who he is. Or maybe it's in that time of waiting and you just say, God, you're so distant. I can't see you at all. And as hard as it is to hear this, it's like, no, Phil, you're colder. You're colder. You're further away from the truth, from the promise of the gospel. But then in that cold place, we start to remember some of those promises In that cold place, we start to remember the promises of Scripture that tell us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And all of a sudden, it's Phil, you're getting a little bit warmer. You're shaking off some of that ice. And you continue to remember those promises. You remember that that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's Phil, it's getting hotter. You're getting hotter. You're getting closer to seeing the picture of who I am. We remember that he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father. So we too have new life. And all of a sudden, it's you're hotter. You're getting closer to that. That picture of Christ is because you remember the promise. You hold it in your soul. You remember that at his name, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on. And you hold that promise 
and all of a sudden, it's your red heart. You're on fire. You see Jesus for who he is because you remember the promise in your heart. And no matter what the weight is, you hold on to that bigger picture of hope because you can see Jesus for who he is. You know, my prayer today is that you could take hold of that hope. Like Simeon holding literally the Messiah in his hands. That today you could hold Jesus in your hands. For us, the wait for the Messiah is over. We just need to take hold of it. We just need to remember that promise We just need to remember what it means for our lives. And when we do, we experience that exhilarating thrill of hope in the gospel. Yeah, I want to leave leave this passage with with one final verse. In fact, I might invite invite the team to come back and and join us. In a minute, we're we're just going to, we're going to praise God. It's going to be awesome. But I love this final picture. You know, earlier I joked about, you know, Mary and Joseph going to the temple. All of a sudden, this guy takes their baby and starts, you know, prophesying stuff. Over. And they, look, they were pretty aware of that at that point. There was the, the virgin birth and all those kind of things. But, but then, then the parents, they stand back. They see all of this unfold. And I love what Scripture says about their response. And it's almost subtle, but it says this. The child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, they marveled at what was said about him. They saw this unfold before their eyes. They saw Simeon, the joy exploding out of his soul at the fact that he was holding this baby in his hands. They heard the fulfillment of the promises that he was speaking out, that this is the light, revelation, salvation for the world. And they stood back and they marveled. They were captured by the truth. They were captured by the truth that their son was in fact the saviour of the world. Now I want to invite you this morning to be captured by that same truth. That the wait for Jesus is over. No matter what else you're waiting for, no matter what else your soul longs for. The wait for Christ is over. And run to him if you're in that wait. The wait's over. Let me pray for you this morning. God, I pray that we would never lose sight of the greatest reality of our life, the greatest reality of our world, that Jesus, you have come. That Jesus, the wait for you is over. But God, now I ask that, that on the other side of that coin, Lord, we wouldn't keep you waiting. God, I want to thank you for the thrill that you feel when we see you for the first time. I want to thank you for the thrill of hope that you experience when we say, Jesus, you are Lord. And God, I pray for each and every person here this morning that that same thrill of hope would be alive in their hearts. Lord God, I pray for peace in the wait. Lord God, I pray for hope 
in that weight. And Lord God, I pray that your reality, that your promises would be bigger, Lord God. We praise you, God. Now, Jesus, as a church, we want to just marvel at the truth together. We want to be joyful in the truth together, remembering the promise. We just want to lift your name up, Lord God. We praise you, Lord. Amen. Can we stand together? We're going to finish this morning with a song of joy, recognizing the hope that we have in the name of Jesus. So